0: Alrighty, so we'll read through it and then uh, we'll go through verse by verse. So Luke chapter six, starting in verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for now you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. So we're picking up from where our brother Casey left off last week. Um, The section of Luke colloquially referred to as the Beatitudes and the Woes. Casey, I think, left off, I I listened to uh, the recording left off mentioning some things like the fact that the Lord Jesus was not truly focused on the physical condition of humanity, the political environment around him, the socioeconomic state of the areas that he visited or traveled through. He wasn't blind to these things. He was mindful of them and often fed those who needed it, healed those who required it and did other things that would seemingly be a physical benefit. His main focus, however, was the spiritual state of humanity and their need for a way to salvation, to do the work that his father had sent him to do. And so that's a theme that we're going to look at here, because as I was reading through this and as I was looking at commentaries, as you look at the Beatitudes, if you just take it at face value, they don't make a whole lot of sense. Blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, blessed are you who weep Blessed are you when people hate you. If you just look at those things on the surface, they actually sound more like curses, not like blessings. But when taken in the right context, and I think that the verse that I'm going to start with really includes, you know, as the last of the four, really includes the, the kicker, the important piece. And that is in verse 22, on account of the son of man. And you can kind of wrap backwards and apply that to all of these things if you do them on account of the Son of Man or if you found yourself and put yourself in that state on account of the Son of Man. It's very, very important to make sure that we apply that to each thing. So here we see in verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. We know that all of these things happened to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth. And we should count it all joy when we have an opportunity to suffer as he suffered. Again, not for the sake of the suffering, but as it says here, on account of the Son of Man, for his sake. Later in Luke, in chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, we're going to see of Jesus, and we kind of talked about this this morning as well in the breaking of bread, where people may look at the things that he did and say, oh, that's evil, or that's of Satan. You know, he does that because of Satan. So we just said that. People may spurn your name as evil, even though what you're saying is the good news of the gospel. In Luke chapter 11, it says of Jesus, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub. The prince of demons. So, even in that, they were trying to find fault in the Lord Jesus, trying to make sure that they, in their minds, were still in that high point as the religious leaders and rulers of the understanding of the scriptures, and then making Jesus out to be evil when the scales couldn't be more, you know, in the opposite direction. In Matthew 10 16 to 22, we read. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all. And it doesn't just end there. There's the same thought here, that same kicker phrase, for my name's sake. So again, on account of the Son of Man or for my name's sake, that is what the world will look at. Those who are aligned against God, they will look at that and they will hate you. They will do the things that we read here. They will hate you. They will exclude you and they will revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. We're going to look at the woes, and one of the woes speaks exactly to the reciprocal of that situation, and we'll get there in a bit. But we know that people, Jesus, and people who align themselves with Jesus were also excluded. That was one of the things in here, when they exclude you. And we can read in John 9, 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. You were just just gone. We don't want to hear about that. Get out. You're not able to fellowship with us anymore in the synagogue. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, many of even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. John 16, 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering services to God. So, again, what we just looked at there, where it says that they will spurn your name as evil, everything is so flipped upside down because they've convinced themselves that they're doing God's work and that you're the evil one, or in this case, the Lord Jesus, or as we continue to carry the banner of Christ, us. And you can see in the world that we live in today, how things are starting to kind of take that turn where everything is becoming a societal norm that is complete perversion of the scripture. It's just becoming the norm. It's good. It's right. It's what we understand. We, we've awoken to this understanding now. I can't believe we were so blind to it. And then as we uphold the scripture and we say things counter to that, we are evil. We're the ones who are inciting problems and inciting issues in society where that didn't exist in the past. And that is in Scripture being said by the Lord Jesus, and we know that it's going to happen to us. And again, I think as we look at the Scriptures, we shouldn't shy away from those circumstances. We should count it all joy when we have the opportunity to go through those things because it's a thermometer. It means that you're doing it right. We're going to look at the woes later on. And if you're not doing it right, you're just going to be like everybody else. And there will be no friction. There will be no going against the flow feeling. And that's comfortable for us. It's comfortable for everybody. But we don't want to get pulled into that temptation. We don't want to get caught in that woe that the Lord Jesus Christ mentions later in this chapter. So again, blessed are you when people hate you And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, not just that's it, that's the end. But again, on account of the son of man or for my name's sake, as we've looked at in other passages. So none of the things that we're looking at here are blessings by themselves, but when done for his sake, they're a blessing and they'll result in rewards in heaven as we're going to talk about in the next verse. But again, being poor, being hungry, those are not even things that we as believers would necessarily just rush out to go do. And they're not good by themselves. Blessed are you who are poor. So I'll just go and burn my money and have $10 to my name and then I'm blessed. No, it works both ways. But if you have that heart towards God and that mindset of chasing after God and sharing the good news of the gospel with others, and fishing for men more than you're fishing for wealth, then that will just organically happen. Because you're not storing up treasures and food and chasing after lavish pleasures and the the finer things of life, but instead you're chasing after souls to win souls for Christ. Because that's the most important thing. It's not whether or not I'm going to get to go to this fancy restaurant or whether or not I'm going to get to go see this this movie. And again, none of those things by themselves at face value are bad. I'm not saying that either. But to chase after those only as a lifestyle overall instead of living for Christ, again, is what's being referenced here. So blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep. And then, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. All of these things on account of the Son of Man. Verse 23 Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. You can look back at the Old Testament and you can see how the prophets were treated and how their fathers, those who were aligned against God, did to those prophets. And just in that same vein as we would think about sharing in the sufferings of Christ and being persecuted as he was persecuted, being that, again, that thermometer telling us that we're doing it right. Because, again, if we're not saying things that are offensive, the gospel is offensive to those who want nothing to do with it. And so if we're not being offensive in that way, if they're not taking umbrage to the gospel and the things that we're saying— Again, it's not being offensive just for the sake of being offensive, but to really just preach the gospel and to, to speak the word of God and to go out and go forth for him, that will just again organically happen because we know that the, the, the mind of sinful man is counter to the things within the gospel. And we know that we're storing up treasures for heaven. Matthew six nineteen to 21, you know these verses, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. So as we get into the woes in the next section there, this is going to continue to be the theme. There's a lot of the woes that have to do with Riches and experiences and entertainment and pleasures and food and things like that, earthly things that are transient, that don't last. If we truly believe, I remember, I don't know how long ago it was, but I did the message about, you know, the string from one end of the room to another, which is even in and of itself, not infinite, but when you draw a tiny little black dot on that white string and say, that's your entire lifespan... Are you living for that tiny little dot, or are you living for eternity? So as we think about what we're living for, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So as your treasure, are you storing up rewards for yourself in heaven, and living for heaven, and living for Christ? Because all these things will follow if you are. Or are you storing up treasures for here on earth, and you're just gonna pass on, and where are we gonna go when we pass on? We're gonna go to heaven. And we're going to be there forever. So even logically, when you think about where we're going to go because of what Christ has done for us and because of that free gift that we've accepted, we should be storing up treasures for the time where we're going to spend more proportionally than the time that we're going to spend less here on earth. Easier said than done because we're bombarded every single day by the need to provide, the need to get through life and work and toil and save. Um, But doing those things for God and not doing those things as the sole purpose of our being here on earth, really focusing and cementing our minds on the fact that we're living for Christ to do what he asked us to do and told us to do in saving souls and winning souls for the kingdom. That's what it's all about. That's what this whole section is about. So as we look at storing up the treasures in heaven, we're going to be thinking about some of those things as we get into the woes here in this next section. So the opposite of some of these beatitudes relayed in verse 20. So once again, as we look at um, verse 24 here, verse 20 was, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. So again, we're not looking at this verse and thinking that oh to be wealthy is bad then and to be poor is is good and that's it it just has nothing to do with scripture or spirituality or anything it's just rich is bad and poor is good okay cool that's not it at all in terms of physical standing alone or even when considering the life of a christian in other words i just don't take it to mean that it's bad for a christian to be wealthy and good for a christian to be poor If God blesses you with wealth, thank him for it. But again, it goes back to how we're living our lives. If you're living your life and your only focus and your only goal is to be rich, that's the problem. Because now you're putting that above what you should be putting first in your life, which is to live for God and to live for Christ and to chase after the souls of man, to be fishers of men and to win souls for the kingdom. It's a razor thin line to cross over into the, the realm of being wealthy because we're storing up those treasures on earth and trying to make a comfortable retirement for ourselves so that we can go on trips and do all of these things. And again, if you're able to do those things, it's not. I'm not saying that's bad or sinful, but as an overarching mindset, if that's all we're focused on or even primarily what we're focused on, that I think is what's being exhorted against here. So if we're chasing wealth at the expense of being fishers of men, that's the problem. Similarly, it's a blessing if we're poor, but only if it happened organically as a result of us being so busy chasing after the things of God that we didn't, we didn't concern ourselves only with, with storing up wealth and getting money wherever it's possible and hoarding it into accounts and saving as much of it as we can so that we can have a comfortable and lavish life. It's not a blessing if we're poor at face value, but if it's done, again, as we wrap all the way back up to that that verse that we started with, for the sake of Christ or on account of Christ, that's where the blessings are. And you know that if it's done in that way, it says here that you're going to be storing up treasures in heaven for your reward is great in heaven in verse 23 there that we read before. So if we're obsessively chasing after wealth, that is the issue. And if we're poor, and if it's because we've foregone the pursuit of physical wealth in favor of winning souls for Christ, there's a blessing in that. And so again, I think, I think we get it. I've said it enough times, even in the past 10 minutes, but it just needs to be strictly understood that it's not just at face value. It's all when it's considered through the lens of being done on account of Christ or for the sake of Christ so the idea that those who chase after wealth and store up riches for this life for where moth and rust destroy where the thieves can break in and steal that theme that they've already received their reward from that type of behavior is similar to what we see in Matthew chapter 6 verses 2 to 4 which says thus when you give to the needy And this is even talking about giving, which a lot of people would look at as good. But if it's done, and we look at this maybe later in this, in this section as well, where I talked about giving, uh, where I read the verses, I'm sorry, about giving with the intent of receiving. I'm gonna give, but I, I, I better get it back or maybe even with interest. But this is, maybe they're not getting the money back that they gave, but they're gonna make darn sure that they get back an equal amount of some other type of commodity, which in this case is praise, recognition, that being able to say like, yeah, I, I just donated $10,000 to this charity and just fig- figured I'd mention that to y'all just so that you're aware, like, okay, cool. Like the only reason for saying that is so that you can be looked at as a benevolent, you know, benefactor to that charity. And that puffs up and that is, is pride and that's an issue. So truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And in terms of sinful flesh, it is a reward. It feels good. It feels great when people are like, wow, you know, that's so cool that so-and-so gave that money to that charity. That charity is a really good charity. And sure, it might be. But to do that openly because you know you're getting back that reward, temporary as it may be, of praise and people thinking that you're pious and wonderful and so giving, and that is not what the Lord instructs us to do. When you do give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Obviously, very challenging for us to do because they both report to the same brain, but the thought is that do it so secretively that only God knows. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I've seen a lot of videos. I just... Not a great habit of mine, but you get watching YouTube and there's those shorts that are like, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, 20 seconds. I I get seeing those and scrolling through them. There's a lot of videos where it's a recording of somebody giving money to maybe a homeless person in New York City or, you know, in other places around the world. And it's nice. Like, you feel good. Like, oh, that was really nice of them. But it's an immortalized recording of that person doing that. And it's on their channel. And the purpose of it being on the channel is not so that they can say, hey, this was a really nice thing that I did, it's likely so that they can get views on a monetized short that's going to get them money and they're going to get more and more views and then people are going to watch and then even more so their channel will grow and they'll get money. So in that sense, it's not no one, no one but God and the person to whom I gave the money to knows that I did that. In this case, it's like, well, my 10,000 viewers are all going to know because I'm going to post it on my channel. And it's it's that type of thing. It just popped into my head that that type of giving, or in this case, as it's said of the hypocrites, you know, the Pharisees potentially who are like making sure that when they put the money in, that that's super loud and jingly, and like, look how big this satchel of money is, and like, hey, I'm gonna throw this in now. Everybody look over here. Um, that's that's not what we're to do. And you're gonna get your reward, and it, it's gonna feel good, and it's gonna gratify the flesh. But that's going to be it. And then it's over. There is no reward waiting for you in heaven where, again, as we know as believers, we're going to spend eternity. Why wouldn't we want to store up treasures there and not store up transient feel-good treasures here? So the thought there, woe to you who are rich. Again, you are rich in this case because you're not doing it for the sake of Christ. You're doing it for the sake of the riches themselves. Woe to you who are in that bucket. For you've received your consolation. You will have a good life. And I say good in the terms of the worldly uh, definition. You will be able to go on lavish trips and you will be able to wine and dine and you will be able to do all these things. But then that's it. And what, what gain is it for a man to gain the whole world and, and to lose his soul? We know that there, that there is none in that. The next woe, well, woe to you who are full. Now for you shall... Be hungry. Again, chasing after, and McDonald uh, took this as literally as, as I might have looked at it as well. Those who are like living a life, a continuous cycle of amusement and entertainment and pleasure. That's the next part of this. Woe to you who laugh now as well. So taking it easy in life, focusing on the pleasures and the entertainment and the things that feel good and are fun eating at nice restaurants, again, not that that's a bad thing to do, but if that's your only sole focus, your whole life is orchestrated around being able to do that stuff, then that is bad because spiritually you'll be hungry on the flip side. And it said back in verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now, not a blessing in and of itself, but if it's done for the sake of Christ, then that's a blessing. The same verses that we read before that go on to talk about fasting. It talks about the Pharisees and when they fast, they go around making it obvious that they're fasting, and they 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 look purposefully look like they haven't showered, that they haven't you know washed or whatever, that they haven't taken care of themselves, and they make it known like, hey Mike, I, you know, I've been fasting for this past week. I'm really hungry, but you know I just wanted to let you know. And it's like, oh okay, you know, cool. But it's for that praise, and it's for that. Wow, oh, you know that's really great. I, you know, good, good job for Mark. He's been fasting. That's cool. Um, it says, take care of yourself, wash yourself, you know, straighten your hair, put on a, a clean robe, so that only God knows that you're doing it, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. That's a treasure stored up in heaven not feeling good because somebody else saw me fasting and they think, oh yeah, what a great guy. You don't get a reward for that. You get the trans- transient, temporary reward of that feel-good feeling just for a little while. And then knowing me, I'd forget about it in 10 minutes because my memory is horrible. Um, and there, there goes the reward, it's gone, as, as awesome as I thought it might've been. So, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn. So, thinking about living life for the finest foods to chase after that element of life, those who laugh now with regard to the entertaining pleasures of life, aimed at those whose lives are a continuous cycle of amusement, entertainment, and pleasure, they will, this is how McDonald put it, they will weep when they look back on a life full of wasted opportunity to live for Christ instead of living for themselves. And that is a very very sobering thought because even in our lives we may say if you look at the entirety of my life I lived for Christ but as a percentage how much of my life did I spend doing these things where I could have done even more of it for Christ and I think that the continued exhortation there even if we think that we're doing well in the macro is to look at the individual circumstances and say, no, I really should be doing that even now. I haven't done that a lot lately. I need to be living for him in this circumstance. And that was sobering to me because there's a lot of time wasted in my life, I can tell you that, where I'm not doing things for Christ. I'm doing things for myself. Very, very sobering. Verse 26 talks, talks back to the blessing that started the portion that I'm covering which said that blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. This is the one of the woes that I was talking about that is directly counter to the barometer or thermometer of knowing when you're doing things right because you're offending those by speaking the words of Christ, by speaking the gospel. This one in verse 26 says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. If all people speak well of you, you're not doing something right. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. We, we read before, so their fathers did to the prophets when they mistreated them. But the fathers of these sinful people that are being spoken about here did to the false prophets the fact that they spoke well of them. Because the false prophets weren't saying anything that was rooted in the gospel and was offensive to the ears of a sinner who needs Christ offensive to sinful flesh. And if you're not doing that, if everyone's speaking well of you in that regard, then again, woe to us because we're not doing something right. Let us never be lumped in with false prophets who were spoken well of by all since they appealed to sinful sensibilities and did not uphold the gospel of Christ. We know that the gospel of the Lord Jesus offends many, those who hear it. We talked about that already, the way that Christ was treated, the way that his disciples were treated, the way I'm sure in our lives you've been treated, I've been treated. When there are circumstances where by the grace of God, we've gone out and spoken out and people don't like it. They don't want to hear it. Let's count it all joy when we have opportunity to be in those circumstances. Because again, I feel that that's how we know that we're doing the right thing. That's how we know that we're living for Christ, that we're speaking on his behalf, acting on his behalf to share the good news of the gospel, which will be as he works in the hearts, as we may plant the seed, but he waters and causes the growth, it may be received by some, but by others who don't wanna hear it, it's gonna be a stumbling block, it's gonna be offensive. And we, as the source of that, physically here in the moment, are gonna be the target of that offense, that hatred, that exclusion, that slander. So again, the four woes there, woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are full now, woe to you who laugh now, and woe to you when all people speak well of you. Taken at face value, not bad. But if you're focusing and targeting those things and not doing it on account of Christ, so now we're in the opposite, where the kicker is not doing it on account of Christ, Then those become woes, whereas in that first portion, those beatitudes, those blessings are there when done for the sake of Christ or on account of Christ. The next section here, verses 27 to 36, I lumped this all into one big section. I have some higher level thoughts that I'll just talk about across that section. But the general theme here is to love your enemies. McDonald called it the secret weapon of of Christ, Love um do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you there's there's lots in this section lots and lots um i want to start off with a story this this was something i had an opportunity to talk to a, a fellow believer at work where i work at visions um he's higher up in the company vp level and uh i Decided to reach out and ask if he would like to have like a mentorship relationship and he acquiesced. And we met for the first time um, on Friday, and he told me a story. Um, it came out that we were equally yoked as, as far as spirituality. I knew he was a believer, I wasn't sure if he knew that I was. Um, but he told me a story because we were having a conversation around the fact that as you climb higher and higher in a company. Are there times when you're forced to change who you are, to sacrifice your, your core beliefs, the things that make you who you are? Because if that's the case, I don't want to climb. If that's the case, I don't want to be there. And he said, no, he hasn't found that to be the case. In fact, and that's when he told this story, there are opportunities still to showcase the love of Christ. And this may not have been exactly a one-for-one parallel to showcasing the love of Christ, but it echoed the theme that we're going to talk about here in the last section of what I'm covering today. He told a story about when he started at Visions, he came in as a manager and he managed a group of, I think, two or three people, three or four, I can't remember how many, but a small group um, of IT professionals, technical professionals. And one day they screwed up big time. Like it affected member accounts. There was duplicate money and it was very bad and he was working through fixing it and one of the impacted managers of another group called a meeting to talk about it he's like okay we'll have a chat about it probably won't be the most fun chat but we'll just have a discussion and maybe it'll be because it was a manager not a director or an avp or a vp or like the ceo you know it won't be like the firing squad, it'll just be a discussion, maybe more of a operational discussion. How do we fix this? How do we make sure this doesn't happen again? He saw the invite list, and it was those types of folks. And he's like, "Okay, we'll go in, and I'll bring my, you know, the ladies from my team, and we'll go in there." Um, when he got there, more people started coming in—assistant uh, vice presidents, vice presidents, senior vice presidents—and everyone ended up being in this meeting. And he realized that it the manager was attempting to use this as an opportunity to turn it into a firing squad. And the manager started to say, this is a huge problem. You know, What did you guys do? How did this happen? How could you possibly let this happen? And he said that he felt led of the spirit to just apologize. So he said, look, so-and-so, I'm extremely sorry that this happened and my team and I are gonna do whatever we can do to make sure it never happens again. And the manager, he said, the manager was like, apology accepted. And that diffused the situation because that manager knew what they were doing. They were doing that on purpose to bring everybody in and cause a problem. They were so taken aback when he didn't put up a wall and a shield and start being defensive in the opposite. Because that is our normal reaction, is to say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, my team did what they were supposed to, like blah, 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 and it would just go back and forth, no resolution, just emotions. And um, again, I'm not trying to say anything you know, scriptural or spiritual about the response given in the moment and any of that. I just mean the theme of the fact that what we're about to look at here in this section, that's how it hits people. It hits different. That's how it hits people in the world when you respond in love, because they're not expecting that. They expect the usual response. So this manager didn't expect an apology with no, no, you know, oh excuses. But but I, you know, I thought we were gonna do this, and that's why this happened. And no, no, wait a minute. Like you can't come at me like that. You guys also did something wrong. Like that would be the normal response, the expected response. And it was neat to hear that the response that was that was given even though he was well aware that he basically had been led to the chopping block by this person and they were looking to make him look bad make themselves look good and get that you know dopamine and the same thing we were talking about where you know the Pharisees would want the eyes on them it's all for the purposes of puffing themselves up and lifting themselves up and potentially making others look bad trying to do that to Christ never really worked like we talked about this morning with the um, you know the the circumstances around Christ and the things that where he responded and I'll talk about this a little bit later but you know Casey said something this morning about um, the person who stretched out their hand and it was leprous and then the person who struck Christ and it could have been just as bad if not way worse for that individual but it wasn't and you know again we'll talk about that here in a moment. But the theme here, loving your enemies, just even that, that's the subtitle in my ESV section here before verse 27. It just doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't even make sense to us in terms of our flesh because our flesh doesn't want to do that. We don't want to love those who hate us. We don't want to love those who rail against us. The reason I tell that story is because we can see in verses 27 to 36 that those things are all counter to what the world would expect us to do. They would say, hate your enemies right back. Fight back. Don't let people walk all over you. If they take your cloak, get it back. Don't let them take your cloak away and certainly don't give them anything else. Like, go, go get your stuff back. That's your stuff. They don't have a right to take that from you. But if we do those things, we'll fall in line and be like those in verse 26 that no one has anything to say anything bad about, even the ones that are sinners that are potentially offended by the gospel. They would just be like, yeah, he did what I would do in that same situation. I would get my cloak back and I would beat that person up and yeah, whatever. So our testimony should be such that we stand out. We should be a light on a hill. You can't cover these things. If you act like, you're, like we can read here in verses 27 to 36, you can't hide that. If anybody sees that, it's immediately apparent that it's weird, that it's different, that it's not the way I would do it because they would go and do those things that I had just mentioned. To the one who strikes you like, whoa, no, no, I'm not gonna turn the other cheek. Like it's going down. Like we're gonna throw down right now because you don't just hit me out of nowhere. That's what the reaction would be. But if the reaction is like this in love, it's completely counter to what they would expect. Give to everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And this talks about in verses 32 to the end, this talks about what the world would do. They would only love the ones that love them. They would only do good to the ones that do good to them. Lend to those that they expect to get back the full amount from, maybe with interest, maybe a little extra. This says, love your enemies and do good. Lend and expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and it won't be the reward that they're going to get. It won't be that they got their money back with interest or whatever, good, I got my reward. It'll be a better reward. It'll be a heavenly reward. It'll be stored up for you in the place where we're gonna spend eternity, not the place that we're gonna spend 60, 70, 80, 90, however many years of our transient small little lives here on this earth. And we know that we'll be living for him. You will be sons of the most high in verse 35, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And if we ever want, to pattern ourselves after everything, anything, what better example do we have than the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? And this is where I was having some thoughts that were very similar to what our brother brought up this morning about the man with the withered hand and the man that struck Christ. Christ can do whatever he wants. He could have called legions of angels. He could have melted the earth. He could have unmade anyone who crossed him. I'm so glad that I don't have any more power than any human because I don't have the love and the compassion and the, the unlimited attributes that Christ has. I know that my anger would well up. And if I had the capability to do those kinds of things, sin would take over and they'd be gone. And Christ didn't do that. He was loving to people when Peter chopped off the ear of the ones that were there and to all to get Christ and to do bad things to him physically he healed it and it doesn't really go into detail but if you're part of the group that's there to to attack Christ you're like whoa, whoa, whoa. like that should be like nope this doesn't scan at all like the normal response that you would expect would be like yeah Peter good job get him guys and like we're going to fight now because I don't want to get taken prisoner but he's like nope. I'm going to give myself up and I'm going to heal this guy. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't scan. But that's the example that we have of how Christ lived his life while he was here on this earth. He did everything for the sake of his father, just like we're seeing here that we should be doing all of these things for the sake of Christ. And we shouldn't be doing any of them for the sake of ourselves or for the sake of the pleasures or for the sake of the food or for the sake of the wealth and the things that we look at in both the Beatitudes and the woes. So when the Lord was mistreated, he could, have been, he could have turned around and erased the entire universe. But he didn't do that. He could have unmade humanity. He didn't do that. Let's strive to live and love like Christ. So there's a lot in this section. And I would say that a bunch of it is incalculably difficult to do. It's easy for me to stand up here and say it. And I guarantee to all of you that I'm gonna go home and not do it, but I'm gonna try. And I think that's what we should all do is we should try and we should pray for the grace to do these things. Forgo the pleasures of life, take actions aligned with the fact that we live in a world full of lost people who need the gospel, who need to be saved, not store up weather for, or wealth I'm sorry, for a retirement and trips and luxury but to use it for him to save as many souls as we can for the kingdom of God. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity we had this morning to remember his death for us and all that he did for us in his life here on earth, that he lived in service and sacrifice to you following your will. We thank you for that time of remembrance and the breaking of bread. We thank you for the time of fellowship. We thank you now for this passage that we were able to read from your word. Pray that you would just hide these verses in our hearts, Father. Pray that you would just bless the the thoughts from Scripture directly to our hearts and pray that you would just give us the grace to live as fishers of men, to live as those whose minds and treasures and everything are slated on and stored up in heaven, focused on heaven, not on earth. Father, we just pray that you would give us the grace to speak boldly to those who may come asking about why we're different, that we would not go with the flow and blend in, but that we would live in such a way that we exude the love of Christ and it stands out as counter to how people would behave in the world so that we may have more opportunities to win souls for you. Father, we thank you so much for this time and for your word. And we thank you and praise you and pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.